Today's episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after this. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a hurricane heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Okay, yeah, it's not Randy Newman, but it is Randy Newman adjacent, which still makes it a Toy Story song. So that and more on today's episode of That Song from That Movie. And a hush fell across the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep going. That's it. You, you're the one that's supposed to continue it. Oh, thank you for joining that song from that movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. I am still your intergalactic space ranger host, Dietrich, and today we're joined by a big ugly man doll who's in need of a good makeover, Alex. Oh, man. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it couldn't continue, all the uh, the nice comments that you were giving me. It had to fall off eventually. Stick me here, to be fair. I feel like it's only been, maybe been one slip in between uh, the last Toy Story episode and this one. I've been listening back and there's definitely a bias. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also joined by a big potato who packs his angry eyes just in case, Ben. I mean that's one of the that's one of the nicer ones. <laughs> Says a lot. Can you expand D on what, what the the um, I'm curious now, what was the recall that you wanted us to do on that intro? Oh, it was just shh like a hush came across the room. <laughs> oh god. Talking of hush, what have you been watching this week? Did you watch the film Hush, the horror film? No, it was a reference to the fact that I always have to edit out a long pause after I ask that question. <laughs> Damn, I answered too quickly then. Yeah, Ben. You did, yeah. Mm, terrible. Um, what have I watched? Long pause. <laughs> and a hush fell across the room. <laughs> yeah, I honestly can't remember what I watched recently. Anything decent? Probably not, clearly. I'm watching that, uh, what's it called? The Dark? Like a German sci-fi mystery thing. That's really good. Not even heard of it. On to you, Alex. What have I been watching? I actually did watch a film in the last week and a half for once, but we've already discussed on this podcast. Because <laughs> so, I think, Ben, you watched it. Mank. I watched Mank. Oh, what do you think? I thought it was very nice to look at. I enjoyed the... <laughs> I, I did initially not enjoy or appreciate the uh, sort of canned, tinny sound, but then I got used to it. I think... Um, Story-wise, it was quite thin on the ground. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a lot of nothing. Yeah, it's aesthetically very pleasing to look at, and I think the film itself, you know, on the whole, it was good. But I think it could have done with a bit. It did. It felt like it was trying to be. Well, yeah, it felt like it was trying to be a bit biographical, but it didn't really quite reach the level of being that either, because no. it was trying too much to sort of be in the the mirror image of the of Citizen yes. Kane, wasn't yeah. it? Like it was trying to. Sort and that's of, not even that good of a film. And well, it's not an enjoyable. Film. I think this was more enjoyable than Citizen Kid. It was more watchable. <laughs> I don't think it will be as revered, but I think it was quite good. I would recommend watching it to somebody. <laughs> to somebody, <laughs> not everybody, but some people. Not any of our listeners, <laughs> but to somebody. Well, maybe I don't know them all personally. 
Some of you will enjoy it. Let's just leave it at that. Whilst I have watched two films in the past week. Shock. One of them, a classic, Shrek, because it's now on Netflix. <laughs> and you, when you said classic, it wasn't actually going to be a classic. Whoa, ben. Shrek's Whoa, not, what? Shrek's like, it's not that old. You can't, can you class it as a classic? It's 20 years old. I was going to say, it's at least 20 years That's old. That's not that old, though, in the grand scheme of things. It is if you're 20. <laughs> it's your entire life. I really hurt my head back at that point then. I think my nose started bleeding. Shrek is a classic. Anyway, uh, the other film that I watched was also new to Netflix, Bad Trip, the Eric Andre jackass thing. No, not heard of it. No. I've heard of Eric Andre. <laughs> it's good. Not my bag. It's, it's not jackass. Like, it doesn't have the camaraderie of the guys of jackass, but it's pretty good. I'm glad you liked a film, D, <laughs> and it wasn't PUBG. Uh, yeah, I'm. <laughs> that's literally the point I was going to make. I'm glad that you, you you watched something that wasn't PUBG. Although I imagine you also watched PUBG. God, always talking about PUBG, you two. God. <laughs> yeah. So to celebrate our birthday, we are going back to the franchise which we originally covered in our very first episode. So today we're covering When She Loved Me from Toy Story 2. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out, over to you, Ben. Lovely stuff. So I'm taking you back to November 1999. First off, a song 2,000 years in the making. (laughs) Sir Cliff Richard releases his version of the Lord's Prayer, dubbed the Millennium Prayer, hitting the number one spot, despite many radio stations refusing to play it. I felt the radio stations were right not to play it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For for probably different reasons to why they refused to play it, which was blasphemy. (laughs) Is that why they refused? A lot of them, yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, no, I would have refused to play it because it's terrible. (laughs) How about this for a fact? The song, which is originally composed by Paul Field, is the only song ever to have Jesus Christ himself credited as a lyricist. Uh, only, sorry, only song to get to number one with Jesus Christ credited as a lyricist. I, li- I like that addendum. That the, <laughs> there are others where he's credited, <laughs> but he didn't get to number one. <laughs> he's he had a, he's got a long discography. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, yeah, wait, he must be on a few a few bangers. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the famous uh, amalgam with uh, Pitbull and Kesha really sort of resounded with me. <laughs> <laughs> he must have done a song with Timbaland as well. <laughs> no, Timbaland did a song with him. Yeah, it was it was Jesus featuring One Republic, produced by Timbaland. <laughs> <laughs> In other news, proving all that glitters is not gold, former glam rock singer Gary Glitter is jailed for four months at Bristol Crown Court for downloading child pornography and many other criminal charges to soon follow. And finally, the Zimbabwean president Robert Mugabe called Tony Blair a little man and accused the British government of hiring gay gangsters to harass him during a private visit to London. What is this news section this week? I, this is this is what you've got to find. You've got, I've got to capture the audience. So, uh, well done, British government. Anyway, moving on to what we're here to talk about. Toy Story 2 is a computer animated film directed by John Lasseter from 1999 and produced by Disney's Pixar Animation Studios. It acts as the meat in the Toy Story trilogy. Ooh. <laughs> that had three films. Three films only. I would say that this was the cheese on top of the burger that is number three with number four becoming the uh, lower bread bun. That's even too much. Four might be the wrapper that you quickly discard. <laughs> it's, the, it's the first patty in the Big Mac Toy Story we're, we're franchise. Already, <laughs> we've already committed too much time talking about Toy Story 4 here. So, the narrative of Toy Story 2. Cowboy Woody is stolen from his home by toy dealer Al McGuigan, leaving Buzz Lightyear and the rest of the gang to come up and try and rescue him. All seems straightforward until Woody discovers that he's actually a valuable collectible 
from a once popular television show called Woody's Roundup. And he has to choose between his owner, Andy, and his new friends, Bullseye, Jesse, and Stinky Pete the Prospector, voiced <laughs> brilliantly by Kelsey Grammer. So before we get into other stuff, uh, what do we think of this film? I don't think this is very controversial to say that it's a great movie. And it's definitely a worthy sequel to the first one, I think. Some people think it's better. I don't particularly agree with that, but it's a great movie, even if you ignore the fact that the plot is very similar to the first one with the roles reversed. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, I think, I, I, like D, I think, I don't know whether it's better than the first one or whether it's the same, but I think it's definitely not worse. I think it's probably up there with like one of the best sequel films ever made. If we're going to call sequel a second film rather than like, you know, multiple sequels, I think it's definitely up there with one of the best sequels ever made. And like, it's like, I was trying to delve into like what makes a great sequel film. And I think what it, to put it like simply, although as D mentioned, the plot isn't too dissimilar from the first one. I think it doesn't necessarily seek to replicate the first film in a lot of ways. It tries to expand upon it. So it feels like it's connected to it, like an extension of it, rather than it being just like the same film again. That That's how I felt about it. Yeah. I also really like this film. I think the first one's better more, but I think that comes in part of just the history of where it stands. It was in like the first computer animated uh, film that did so, so well and ch- basically changed the game. I mean, Disney before have had so many straight to DVD sequels. And this was going to be one of them that, you know, you really? just, oh, yeah, it was, it was supposed to go straight to DVD, but I think John Master kind of oversaw the screenwriting and saw that it had merit. And then they hired loads more to join the team and the staff grew so astronomically. And they decided in a very short time frame, I think it was like nine months converted it into a feature film to fit, I think with the deadline just after Bugs Life. And yeah, you know. I'm glad they did, because I probably wouldn't have ever seen it in Toy Story 2 if it was straight to DVD, because I'm pretty sure I've seen, there's been various Toy Story, like, shorts since. Yeah. Like, yeah. there was a Halloween one or something like that. Yeah, the Toy Story of Terror. Yes, things like that. Uh, there are some really good ones, though. Yeah. Because well, I've been, me, uh, we've been watching a lot of Pixar shorts recently, <laughs> and there are, like, with the launching of Disney+, Plus, they released loads of, like, short, short ones that are in, like, three minutes, and some of them, of the Toy Story ones, are amazing. So go okay. watch them. There's one I'll called Small Fry, which is amazing. There's one called um, Party Source Rex. <laughs> and there's also one where uh, Ken and Barbie uh, go on a holiday to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I would not recommend for he asks a question. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're slightly less good. <laughs> I think, it, and I keep saying trilogy, but I, I, I love these as a three. And that's why I hate the fourth one. I think this is the lesser of the first three. Obviously, it's better than Toy Story 4. I prefer Toy Story 1 and 3 to this one. I still love this second one, but I prefer mm. the other two. I think I go 1, 2, 3. Yeah. The third one can only exist on the back of this one. And I think okay. that's why one of the reasons why this one's so good, because I think it the reason why most sequels don't work is because... To go, let's let if we're going to go on a, a screenwriting 101 uh, lesson here, is that obviously with a main character usually in a story, they have like a fundamental flaw at the beginning, which is resolved by the end. So if you're thinking of Woody in Toy Story One, he's self is a selfish character, and by the end he realizes, you know, he learns that friendship is the is the best route as a toy to go to move forward. So it's that progression from being selfish into friendship. Mm-hmm. 
And I think a lot of the time with sequels, they try to unlearn that lesson so that they can learn it a second time. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I think that with the, the beauty of Toy Story 2 is it fundamentally the story is still about Woody's selfishness, whether he wants to be immortalized forever in what will probably be a hollow existence, but it will still be immortal, or whether he wants to live like a finite life with Andy. Because the third one is all about that moment where in this one it's a threat of the future, but then the third one is that future. So the three films work perfectly as that progression as a parent, I suppose. And that's why the fourth one feels yeah. like an appendage because it didn't need to be there. <laughs> it's so bad. I know. <laughs> but I think the fourth one tries to take... So I think. I mean, I personally don't mind the fourth one because I think it does kind of come back in a way because it, it sets it off in a different direction. But it, it, it doesn't fit with these first three, which I think is probably why you, do, why, <laughs> why you hate it so much about <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like you. I think I, I think you put it so beautifully there. Um, I think it almost, I feel the first three book end at points of my life where I feel for the age we are at or were at, it mirrored our sort of, well, Andy mirrored yeah. our age. And I feel like with Toy Story 3, we were roughly at that age as well of, you know, kind of 16 to 18. And I kind of felt that connection to it, and which is why the fourth one just seems a very misnomer. It doesn't seem to fit on a timeline of those those other ones. I know it does in a narrative sense, but not in a sort of how it connects with me, which is why I love the trilogy and hate that's the fourth <laughs> one. <laughs> but moving on, just some interesting facts that have been glittering the internet as well of late. Uh, I think a lot seems to have pulled up. The film was almost accidentally deleted when an animator deleted the root folder of the film's assets on their internal <laughs> servers. So all the animations. They shut down the file servers and lost 90% of the work. Uh, And the backups were found to have failed for some reason. But the film was saved when technical director Galen Sussman, who's been working on the project from home due to the long nights, and I think he just had a newborn child, had a backup version of the files on their home computer. And so, yeah, they were able to continue just because that one person had taken their their work home, (laughs) which is absolutely mad. But yeah, there was they had because they had to finish this in nine months. There was a lot of overworking, long hours. Pixar said they did not encourage this, but they clearly actively did not discourage it. <laughs> I think it's one of those things when um, when a company says like, "Oh, our employees are just they're just so much better working. They've just got such a good work ethic," and then behind them they're like exasperated, having to pee in bottles. It's like Amazon. Yep. But my God, they did do a good project. So yeah. There's one particular song we want to talk about today, but just a quick acknowledgement of a song in particular that does stand out in this one is Woody's Roundup, which is performed by the group Riders in the Sky, which is fantastically named, (laughs) which is the theme song for the in-film TV show Woody's Roundup. And it's also the end credit music over the the bloopers, (laughs) shall we say, which are fantastic in Toy Story. They need to bring those back. They do. I love the idea that they create bloopers. <laughs> I know, yeah, that was the brilliant thing about it. Yeah. It just sells the world. It does, yeah. <laughs> it does. Due to the like the success of how much the um, Pixar executive liked Rides in the Sky and the song Woody's Roundup, they made a tie-in album around the characters of Toy Story 2 called Woody's Roundup, a rootin' tootin' collection of Woody's favourite songs, which won a Grammy. <laughs> of course <laughs> it did. Do you want to know what the, gra- <laughs> the Grammy is? <laughs> It yeah, was probably like least, best Toy Story least. song. No, it's great. I mean, it's, it might as well have been Grammy Award for best musical album for children. Mm. I mean, you can't deny that it probably was. Well, they were <laughs> later invited back to do a same tie-in album for Monsters Inc., 
which won their second Grammy Award for Best Musical Album for Children two years later. It's a nice song. It's kind of a jovial of the time. I guess it's supposed to be what? Maybe like the 40s, 50s? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, for, it I reminds me of the animation in 101 Dalmatians. What's it called? The dog. Wonder Dog. Oh, okay, we talked about it. It's not Wonder Dog, is it? It's like Thunder something. Yeah. Oh, God, that's going to drive me crazy. But do you know what? Do you see where it, cause it ends on a cliffhanger? And I'm pretty sure it does that in 101 yeah. Dalmatians. Like he's jumping over like a gorge. And then the other one, he's running to the like the mine or something to save the children or something like that. Thunderbolt, it's called. Thunderbolt. There we yeah. go. I see a lot of connections to that. But yeah, it's just a quick acknowledgement before we move on to the main song in the film, which probably people are very much aware of, which is When She Loved Me, performed by Sarah McLachlan and written by Randy Newman for the movie. What do you guys think of, maybe not just the song, but the scene in which it's used? And we'll go into this in a bit more detail afterwards. Simply put, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> the whole section. Yeah. It, it, it's probably the first true moment maybe within all Pixar films, but certainly within Toy Story, where it's like, it really hits you, I think. Because I think in the first one, there's not this level of, like, pure mortality or sadness. And I think it it really poignantly displays what I was talking about before, about how the first, obviously the song in the first one is where you've got friend in me, so it's about friendship. And this one is about pure abandonment. And and this song is, is literally that, isn't it? It's the antithesis, isn't it? Yeah, and the, and the two songs represent the themes of the films perfectly. And it's this moment, really, that propels the rest of the story for this film and the third one, really. Because it's something that's not... I don't think is really explored in the first one is the idea that the child will grow up. Because I think in the first one, it's, it does focus on the, the idea that toys are expendable or replaceable, but not that the child will no longer have need for them. And I think that that's obviously the theme that comes through in this one and then again in the third one. And I think this is the moment when that arises. So I think it's probably a really, it's a very pivotal point in this film, but also in the franchise. And it probably does come from more or less right in the middle of the three films, I guess, because it's about halfway through this film, I suppose. So it's, um, yeah, it's the midpoint, if you want, if you will, of the franchise. It's not, unfortunately, because there's a fourth film. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. This is a beautiful song. Beautifully performed is what I've written here, but it doesn't need to be written down. It's, it's, it is an amazing song, and I really enjoyed the fact it's the song itself is really underproduced. Like There's just a piano not even being played that much by, I assume, Randy Newman and uh, Sarah McLachlan's vocals over the top. Where I disagree slightly with Alex, though, is the scene. I think it's, the scene is too long and ends up being more like a like a handbrake for the film. Interesting. It just sort of grinds the movie to a halt. And I don't know if this is on purpose, so I'll just, I'll just sort of say, but I feel like for the first minute of... The, up until when Jesse's dropped underneath the bed, Jesse's this like really tragic character. You really feel for her. But then I feel like it keeps going, and it sort of changes how Jesse is viewed for the rest of the film until later on. If it, makes, it sort of makes her seem more like possessive and unwilling to let people evolve. And she sort of ends up doing that later in the film with Woody until she finally realises on the runway that that's wrong. Not the runway, sorry, the mm. airport luggage thing. So, I mean, I, I guess both things can be true, but I don't know if it was their intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's definitely the intention to make her the way, you like you described her, like being like possessive and a bit like... But I think that that's as a result of the situation, isn't it? Of being abandoned. So she can't bear to, for that to happen again. So that's why she becomes 
the way she is. So it's kind of the song is almost a justification for the way that she behaves later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do see what you mean, and and I know I know what you mean about it being. It's odd to have a scene like this because it didn't appear in the first film, did it? I suppose there was like maybe a beginning montage in the first film, but there's not like this part, this section which it almost sits as a single piece within the film. Yeah. So it, I, I do, I do see what you mean that maybe the length of it could be shortened. For me, it does it. I, I didn't, I didn't feel that, but I can, I can definitely see what what you're saying. D, it's interesting how you said that because Pixar executives were really worried that this scene would act as a handbrake, that it would be quite jarring for young children. Similar to how Alex said, there is nothing like this in the first film, and they worried that it would affect the pacing. However, in the testing screens with young people, it felt like they stuck with it quite well. Yeah. And they felt that adult audiences would much sort of, not necessarily appreciate it, but it would work on a higher level, and Pixar have always wanted it to work on two levels as much as their original motto which i think is a walt disney sort of motto is for every laugh there should be a tear <laughs> and like there's a lot of comparisons made to the baby mind song in Dum- in dumbo yeah. but yeah they just really did not want and they said pixar wanted to be different to disney in this case to have musical numbers in the film but they felt like this was a workaround in a way that it's not like sung by a character or a breakaway musical number it just seems like it's fitting because it's a montage could you imagine if Jesse had started singing the song in the scene? It would have been weird. <laughs> I think it would have, it would have it would have ruined it. It yes. would have killed it. Yeah, it would have. In the original um, storyboarding, she would she just explained it, and they always wanted this it to be a point that she is in a way the um, the other half of Woody. In a way, she's already experienced a thing that Woody might be soon to experience, which mm-hmm. he obviously does go on to do in the third one to an extent. But they just didn't know how to get through it without it just being like a bit of a exposition dump. And I think as well, like with it being a lyrical song, like with it being a song, it hits on a different emotional level to if it had just been mm-hmm. dialogue, doesn't it? And it allows them to get pack more in than you could with yeah. Because if 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 she had just explained everything that happens in that scene, it would have felt like exposition. It would have felt like that didn't need to hear all this. It could have been done in one line. But I think with a song, when it can all be visual. It works much better. Definitely. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you'll get when you include one. Apply today to become a member and be immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. P-O-D-G-O dot C-O and make sure to tell them that that song from that movie sent you. Have you guys listened to the Randy Newman original version of this song? No. You really need to, Alex. It is not good. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like it wasn't written for him from the start because of how he's singing it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's parts in the song where his voice is just breaking because he's doing it so softly and it just doesn't work. He has much more of a bluesy voice. Yeah, whoever's decision it was to replace him with Sarah McLachlan, well done, pat on the back. Well, Dee, you can pat Randy Newman on the back. <laughs> oh, really? Well, Randy Newman wrote <laughs> the song. Fair enough. What he, but then he decided to write it in the pitch or, for a female singer because he felt like it wouldn't work as well with him. Like The animating team on that scene was mostly, like, especially for Jesse, was females. To understand what's going on, they wanted like female animators. And I think Randy Newman, in the same way, felt like it wouldn't work with a male voice. And so, basically, they kind of touted around, and I think Sarah McLachlan, she just had a huge album, and she's got, like, quite an incredible range. 
She's quite known for singing sort of emotional pop, slightly country ballads. And I think that recent stardom, I think she just had two top five US Hot 100 singles just before the film, like a few years before. And they felt she would be the best person to go with. And her voice, I don't know what it is, it just seems to like meander through the song really well. And I think it almost works, but with the montage, it's almost got like like a like a sepia glaze over it, like a washed effect. And it seems to kind of be quite haunting or sort of fever dreamish, how it just kind of lingers over. Yeah, it would not work if it was Randy Newman's voice. <laughs> she said the first time she heard it, I don't know if that was Randy Newman's version or just reading the lyrics, but she was brought to tears. She said she was drawn to like the melancholic nature of the song and that it would fit her ballad style. In a way, it's, you're not going to find it on Disney <laughs> sort of compilation albums. For you know, It's not like cheerful and uplifting. But I'd say it's probably up there, one of the best. If you can be a, a non-perfectionist and say that Pixar is Disney. Yeah, I think at this point, yeah. Good, good, good. good. I've seen it on, online, I've seen a lot of comparisons with the song Being Green by Kermit the Frog. Thoughts? <laughs> I don't know. That song. Do you know? Have you not seen it where he's sat on a stump and he's singing like a really soft? Oh, it's beautiful. Oh no, no, I know the one that's like uh, about the rainbow. Is that that song? I think about it is. Rainbow Connection. Rainbow Connection. Oh no, maybe yeah, that's, that's a different one. But maybe he just always sings that's on it. From the first Muppet movie. Maybe he just right? always sings on a stool. <laughs> but yeah, a bit like you were saying, Alex. A lot of the themes of this song, separate from the film, just feel like it has a connection with growing up, which is, like you say, a common theme throughout the films. And I think even taking it away, I know it was written in part for the film and that specifically the role and narrative of Jesse, but I think it does just work as a parent looking at their child and I guess just changing sort of, you know, interest and how close they are to you as they grow up. I know, again, I think the third film really resonated with me because of those kind of similar themes to a point where, as stupid as it sounded, I just remember thinking, God, I just wish I wish I'd have played with my toys more. When I got home from the cinema, I'm thinking, that is a weird thought to have as, like, an 18-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously, because you, you said Pixar didn't know whether the song would work for kids. Yes. And it's because this part of the story is for the adults, because the kids have got no concept of what's going on in this section, really, haven't they? And I think, like, the idea is, like, oh, I wish I played with my toys more. It's really what it's trying to do is say to parents, you, you are going to wish that you played with your kids more. <laughs> Obviously, in this one, in the second one, the kind of dynamic is that Buzz, uh, sorry, Buzz, Woody has the option to have fame, like an immortality, and like it's it's kind of like a choice between family and career, almost, isn't it? It's like, do you have that? Wow. Infinite... You're blowing my mind here. <laughs> but it is, isn't it? It's like, do you? Yeah, it is. That that's kind of like what it what it what it's trying to to get across, and it's like, does he choose to have that happiness with Andy for like a small finite amount of time, or essentially his family, his child? If you look at it that way, or does he choose to... Uh, be made for life. Yeah, made for his life. <laughs> so that's kind of the choice he has to make. And obviously he chooses wisely. Or the film would have us believe. <laughs> Especially when your boss is Stinky Pete the Prospector and he's going to try and backstab you anyway. <laughs> the song was nominated at the Academy Awards in 2000 for Best Original Song, which it lost out on. Do we know what it lost out to? What year? 1999? Well, it was 2000, so the film was 99, so obviously it's the next year's Oscars. I was going to say, was it um, Titanic, but that was early, wasn't it? As great as I think When Somebody Loved Me is, what is it compared to Phil Collins' You'll Be In My Heart? Which one? Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> it's <that>. nothing. <laughs> What's that from? Is that a genuine question? <laughs> yeah. What is it from? Wait, what, is it from Tarzan? From Tarzan. Well, I, re- I remember like, one. was it One World, One Family or something like that? Yeah, Two Worlds? <laughs> Two, Two Worlds, One family. family. That is also from the film. But You'll Be In My Heart is just the jam. I think it's pretty much the best Disney song. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's gone out there, people. He's gone out there. I, I put it. I put myself out there for when we finally get to Tarzan in that Disney uh, <laughs> walkthrough that we do. The Disney walk. We've got a long way to go. Yeah, a very, very long way to go, and a lot of. Months. Are we celebrating our second birthday? Yeah, I'm in it for the long. I'm in it for Tarzan. When we get to there, I could probably retire. Oh, but we were so close to Atlantis. <laughs> Why would you retire then? There's a song in Atlantis. Um, probably. I don't know. Who's watched Atlantis? Nobody. I don't know. It feels like something that has probably aged quite well. There's somebody at Disney Plus headquarters going, there's just no play count on this film. <laughs> Zero. Two hearts. Just one. Okay. Is it that one, yeah? No. <laughs> okay. So, you two. Did you have Toy Story toys as kids? Did you have a Buzz? Did you have a Woody? No. Yes, I'm sure we had a Did you not, Dave? No. no. Okay, not a fan. I was happy with my imagination toys. <laughs> <laughs> I remember and have been told since that it was incredibly hard to get some of these toys, especially around Christmas time. And so for our top five this week, I have a list of all the top selling Christmas toys of the 1990s when we were kids. And I want to know if you can Ooh. even get five of the best selling toys I have this list of the four t- last 45 years released by Argos in the UK. So it's a UK list. It's yeah. a UK list, yes. So right. I've got, okay. uh, yeah, 1990 to 1999 will do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you want to just get the obvious one out of the way, Alex? Yeah, is one, is one of them Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> it was, yes. Buzz Lightyear outsold Woody in 1996. In, and this is the Buzz Lightyear aisle. Back in 1995, short-sighted retailers <laughs> did not order enough doors to meet demand. It's literally a quote in the film. <laughs> it is, yes, I know. Very accurate. We've got so we've got that one out of the way. Yeah. Do we say that the British staple of the Thunderbirds Tracy Island? <laughs> yes, Thunderbirds Tracy Island was the best-selling Christmas toy in 1993. Wasn't that like in the top ten best Christmas toys until like 2015 or something stupid Maybe. like that? It's like over 200 quid now on on like Amazon. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you look at it, it's absolute shite. <laughs> I was going to say the Cabbage Patch Kids, but that might be in the 80s. Because that's like the one that everyone always talks about. Cabbage Patch Dolls, 1984. Oh, okay. Because that's the one that everyone always talks about because like, they were literally impossible to get hold of. Yeah. yeah. Furbies? Furbies was 2000D. Oh, oh. Um, PlayStation 1. No, no. Or an N64. Uh, no, the, no? They, you're going into, like, the, no. no, you're going... The games console sort of took over in the, in the 2000s. Oh, okay. So there's no game console. Alongside like, like a game Bratz one. Dolls, Beyblades, and Robo Sapien. <laughs> Beyblades was going to be one of the things I said. Um, I was going to say something to do with Pokemon then, but I guess probably not. Well, maybe. Think kind of what you played what you played it on. Game Boy. Go, I said Game Boy. Well, I said Game Boy. You said there weren't any video games. Oh, well, so I'm thinking of proper consoles, I guess, not handheld. So you have three. Ooh, it's not bad. Is it, there must be some sort of doll of some kind, though, surely. Yeah, Barbie. Barbie, 1992. Just yeah. Barbie. Just Barbie. I think specific, specifically it was Denim Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a new hat. She's back in denim form. Right. Oh God. Can you give us? Maybe you have. I was gonna say Pogs, but <laughs> Pogs was nineteen ninety five. Was it? <laughs> that was the clue. I, tr- I thought you might try to. <laughs> You've got five guys. Ball? You've so got, got five. five. We did it. You got five. So, so what were the? Other, Do you want to try and guess the others? There is. So nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety seven. 98 and 99, we've not got. Is there, are any of them board games? Oh, wait, 1990, you didn't get as well. None of them are board games. The only board game in the la- in the list for the last 45 years was the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire board game in 2001. Really? I look at some of these recent ones of recent years. Kids these days. You're going to have to give us some clues for these yeah, other ones. Yeah, you might have to give us some okay. clues. Okay, um, 1990 is a popular children's cartoon 
probably we might have watched four words heroes in a half oh t- teenage mutant ninja turtles hero action turtles figures, another action right. figure in 1994 action man stretch armstrong no that was much much earlier that was <laughs> power rangers action figures oh power rangers oh, okay. 1997 very small little electronic device that we probably oh had. tamagotchi tamagotchi yes, yes. 1998 a type of animal i do not remember this whatsoever is it like a flipping dog or something? Yes, pro- I think it was because my my wife knew this. Texter the dog, whatever that is. Yeah, it was like a robotic dog that flipped and over, wasn't it? I think. 1999, Alex, we did a performance of this for you in year six. Bob the Builder. Bob the Builder, yes. No idea what it is. It just says Bob the Builder. <laughs> it just says Bob the Builder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only other notable mention for this entire list was 2009 High School Musical Dance Mat. Moving on. <laughs> That was the highest selling toy of 2009. Apparently so. <laughs> Keep that fact in your back pocket for a future episode. I love that. I'm sorry, there's a, t- t- sorry, there's a toy. The best selling toy of 2015 is a joint three-way tie with something called Pie Face. What's Pie Face, Alex? Oh, it's the thing where you like you slam a button. Oh, is that that thing when you put the pie? Is that all it is? Hits and foam Alongside and Saddle and yeah. Ride Barbie. Giggity. And Star Wars <laughs> The Force Awakens Kylo Ren Deluxe Electronic Lightsaber. <laughs> I love how long that was. Like a really expensive glow light sort of themed with a, with a, a multi-billion dollar sort of franchise <laughs> matched with pie face. <laughs> the year before, was it that poo heads came where you threw poo at people's heads? Frozen snow globe, apparently, in 2014. Uh, frozen snow globe. So we'll move on to the ultimate question now, which this week is movie or song. Bloody hell. So, ooh, um, Alex, do you want to go first this week? Crikey, I did, I've, I've completely forgotten that we did this. Crikey. <laughs> um... <laughs> I feel like I, I have to probably say film. I do think that the song hits at the emotional heart of this film and actually the franchise in a lot of ways, but the song doesn't necessarily sit outside of the film, which is kind of what I have to base these difficult ones on. So I think... Film. Ben? Interestingly, I would have probably gone with the same as Alex, but Alex's convincing argument throughout this thing of how this song kind of hits those themes of, I mean, in part abandonment, but also just that continuous narrative of, yeah, the relationship between a parent and a child. And I, I don't know how, you, Alex, how you were describing it was just so beautiful. I'm going to have to pick the song. <laughs> At least I'm picking the scene and the song, but I can do that because it's a podcast and this, there's no rules. So. I would take that because, yes, I do prefer the first and the third film, and I could take that scene in the middle, and the fourth one doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to stick with what Alex said and also say film here. The movie itself, I think it just feels like like it fleshes out the world of Toy Story too well to get rid of it for a song. So that is a victory for the film. So that brings an end to another episode of that song from that movie. Thank you for a whole year of listening in to us be stupid on this. We're also stupid on Twitter. Ben, what is our Twitter handle? TSFTMPod. You can help us by sharing this on a random subreddit. Alex, what subreddit should they pick this week? Um, The Toy Story 4 subreddit. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense that it would have its own separate subreddit away from the rest of the yeah, franchise. Actually, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> if you want to help out the podcast, you can do that on Patreon, you can buy our merch, or you can leave a review. There's links on our social media, so uh, just check that out. So what's left now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. (laughs) It's a very good accent as well. (laughs) And goodbye from Ben. How do you spell FBI? (laughs) 
I did consider that one. So goodbye, everybody. See ya. Bye. I will make you guys hate the fourth one by the time we we, <laughs> we get through these films.